If you don't know, we've been doing a series, I've called it Ignorant. It's things that, ignorant's not a bad word, it just means you don't know about something. We've hit a bunch of topics, we're hitting one today that I think um, Christians are bad at, and it's forgiveness. I don't think most Christians know how to actually walk out forgiveness. And because of that, there's all kinds of problems. I read a book by a great, he's a great author. It's called The Happiness Hypothesis. Smart guy. Works at the University of New York. So very, very smart guy. And he said this. He said, all human civilizations are built on one principle. Reciprocity. You scratch my back, I scratch your back. You put a knife in my back, I put 10 knives in your back, right? That's the MO of humans. And because that is our MO, what happens is most of us have unforgiveness in our life. And that unforgiveness begins to echo out of us. Brokenness, actually disease, estranged relationships in families, broken relationships with other people. It just echoes out of us. This MO does. It doesn't work very good. And the Bible is always pressing against that. So you probably all know this verse. It says, do not let the sun set on your wrath, right? Now, why is that? Because when you go to bed angry, that anger settles into your soul and stains it and then leeches out the next day and the next day and the next day, right? Don't let the sun set on your wrath. So couples, what does that mean? If you are angry with your spouse at night, what does that mean? It means you have to stay up and fight. That's what it means. <laughs> I don't want this to stain my soul, so we're staying up, sweetie. I mean, it's that important, okay? But mostly, I think, we're not good at it. We're not good at walking out the process of what it means to biblically forgive, all right? So instead, we have stained souls. So what do we do? Well, we look to Jesus. So if you have a Bible, open with me to Luke chapter 17. There's a lot of texts in the Bible on forgiveness. I could have grabbed any one of them. This one, though, I think highlights many of the things that we are ignorant of when it comes to walking out biblical forgiveness. Okay, so Luke 17, verse 1. And he said to his disciples, temptation to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better... For him, if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea, then that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, 
you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. How crazy is that text? Meditate on that for a while. Because most of us don't do forgiveness like that. So if you're married and you have an issue with your spouse and you know the command, don't let the sun set on your wrath and you guys go to bed and you're both mad at each other and you are on opposite sides of your California King mattress, right? As far as you can be apart, you're just like, oh, get away from me. But you know that command, so you are like, okay, someone needs to pursue peace here, right? I don't want this anger to settle in my soul and become another layer that just pollutes my life, right? So you know what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to roll over and begin to move towards forgiveness. But Matt, it is 99.99% her fault. doesn't matter. You roll over, you tap her on the shoulder, and you say, I am sorry for my 0.01% fault. (laughs) Don't use numbers. You really shouldn't. Like, just don't use a number in there. Right? That's what we do, right? And then we say, so now that I've said I'm sorry, do you have anything to say to me? Right? And they're like, no, I'm good then I am not sorry after I take it all back, right? Because the model that we've been given has been the model by our well-meaning parents that we threw sand in little Joey's eyes, so they march us back to little Joey, and then they command that we say sorry to them, right? But what they don't know is little Joey stole our G.I. Joe action figure with the Kung Fu grip, and he deserves sand in his eyes. And this is unfair, But because we've been modeled this weird thing about forgiveness, we keep just kind of replicating that, and it doesn't actually work. And that's not at all what Jesus is saying in here. He has a radical model of forgiveness. And I'm telling you, as a person that meets with people, very few people forgive well. And a lot of what I deal with is the leaching out of that unforgiveness into their relationships, into their life, into community. Learn this lesson. Lesson. So let's try to go through this. Let's just step through what Jesus is saying, all right? So verse one is fascinating. Jesus is like, hey, whoa, to, to the sin, like temptation. Sin is gonna come. I love how honest Jesus is about life. Listen, sins are gonna happen to you, period. No one gets out of childhood unhurt, Right? You look at a little kid, they're like open and they're friendly and they're kind and they're talkative and they'll give information about their parents that they shouldn't, right? They offer up way too much. You want them more of a closed book than an open book, right? That's the way kids are and we love them for that. But fast forward in that kid's life 20 years and they've changed. They're guarded. They're not as friendly. Why? They got hurt. They were sinned against. That's what happens. No one gets out of childhood unhurt. Betrayal, 
parents didn't do enough. Parents did too much. Friends unfriended them. You name it. Your parents forced you to go to homeschool. You know, you were hurt somehow. My kids are homeschooled. They'll probably say that about me. Right? We, you don't get out of childhood unhurt. So Jesus is super honest about the way life is. Look out. And as an adult, you face a choice then. Am I going to keep allowing this stuff to stain my soul? Or will I take the medication from the great physician and be healed? We face a choice. Will I walk out this well? What am I going to do? Okay. So, number one, sins are going to happen. No one gets out unhurt. It's what you do next that matters. So then Jesus says this, verse three. He says, pay attention to yourself. That what he's going to say about this whole idea of forgiveness is not for the offender, it's for the offended. This is for you. This is to help you. God's commands are not burdensome, 1 John 5, 3. They're not God trying to force us like our parents, march us to little Joey. Hey, say you're sorry. You're like, I'm sorry, right? It's not that. What Jesus is saying is, this is to help you. This is to heal you. Come on, take the medicine. Some of you are here this morning and you are full of bitterness and you are full of anger and you are full of unforgiveness. Let me ask you, how's that working for you? You experiencing the abundant life? How's it working for you? Pay attention to yourself. When you start to express an emotion, bitterness, wrath, unforgiveness, when you start to express that, what happens to that emotion? It gets amplified. Right? It keeps getting more and bigger and bigger, right? When you express anger at somebody, what happens to you? Do you get a peace that passes all understanding? A joy unspeakable just floods in? No, you get angrier. Science has shown it's a holistic whole body effort, actually. Your heart rate goes up. Your blood pressure goes up. All these hormones are released into your body in those moments. Just when you start expressing that, It actually is disease-causing. Jesus says, pay attention to yourself. Listen, disciples, followers of me, this is for you. This is to help you. And he gets so radical with it, like you read verse 4, and Jesus says, listen, if a guy sins against you seven times in one day, You must, I have the word must in my Bible underlined, you must forgive him. How radical is that? How many of us have said, uh, you know what, this is the last time I'm forgiving you for that? How does that fit into this text? Seven times, same sin, same day. This is insane forgiveness. This would be you go to work tomorrow morning, and your coworker comes up to you early, he's like 7.30 in the morning, hey bro, you know, this morning I didn't eat breakfast and I looked in the company fridge and you had your breakfast in there. 
I ate it. I'm sorry, would you forgive me? Oh, man, I remember that message yesterday. Yes, I'll forgive you, right? And he comes back an hour later. You know, I, I forgot to tell you this as well. Before you got here, someone, um, oh, I probably actually lost my stapler, so I stole your stapler too. Can you forgive me? Um, yeah, yeah, I guess so. I'll forgive you for that. All right. A couple hours later, about lunchtime, he goes, hey, you know, your breakfast was so good. I also ate your lunch. I mean, your wife is a throwdown cook. It's so good. Can you forgive me for that? Wow, dude, yeah, I guess. Hour after that, hey, you know that temperature's been so cold in here? I also stole your coat a couple days ago. Here's it. I'm giving it back to you. I wondered where that went. Can you forgive me? Yes. A couple hours after that, oh, you know your laptop that you were missing? I stole it too. I put mine on my roof and I was driving. It fell off, so I had to borrow one. I just took yours, right? A couple hours after that, hey, my car wasn't working, so I just hot-wired yours and I wrecked it. Can you forgive me? That's, that's insane, right? That's what Jesus just said in this text. It's insane. You must forgive. It's an imperative. You must forgive. Now, why is it such a big deal to Jesus? Here's why. When you don't forgive, here's what can happen to you. Romans chapter 12, verses 18 all the way to 21 is one of the texts on forgiveness. And the warning there is this. If you don't forgive, you can be overcome of evil. There is something that happens when you have an unforgiving heart that you are cracked open to all kinds of evil coming in. I just read this article on Dave Dave. Does anybody remember Dave Dave? You can Google him. But at six years of age, his dad had visiting rights for the weekend, so he took Dave Dave at six to a hotel room, doused him in kerosene, and set him on fire. Remember that? It's a big story. I mean, he was friends with Michael Jackson. You know, he's a big name. And the dad went, why'd you do that? I was bitter and angry at my ex-wife. See, it opens you up to being overcome of evil. You must forgive. It 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, on forgiveness as well, church-wide forgiveness. The, the warning there is you can be outwitted by Satan. When you're unforgiving, you give Satan an advantage in your life. He will weaponize your pain. Do you know that? So I read this great book by Richard Rohr called Adam's Return. And he said something there I'll never forget. He says, listen, Pain that's not transformed will be transmitted. If I don't let the gospel of Jesus Christ transform my own pain, I will transmit it to somebody else. How many kids have had their parents' pain transmitted to them? How many spouses are on the receiving end of a person's pain over and over and over again? Ha! Huh. You'll be outwed. He will weaponize your pain. And it'll pollute, leach out into your family. You must forgive. Or Hebrews 12, verse 15, a root of bitterness gets into you. It just defiles you, defiles everything you touch. Have you ever looked at somebody and been like, dude, what's eating you? A root of bitterness is what's eating them. And now it's coming out and it's defiling and it's causing trouble. 
I say unforgiveness is this. Unforgiveness is carrying around a giant red hot boulder, hoping one day to crush that person with it. But all it does is burn you and exhaust you. You must forgive. Well, how do you do that then? This radical, insane kind of forgiveness, how do you do that? Well, look at verse 3. You rebuke the person. Who here rebukes people? We're not a culture that naturally carries out rebuke, right? Mom and dad didn't march us to little Joey and have us rebuke Joey for throwing sand in our eyes, did did they? We didn't do that, right? We, We don't do rebuke very well, right? The normal way that we process this stuff being sinned against is we get bitter or we get angry or we justify or we withdraw or we do self-protection. We just put kind of barriers around us. We deny that it hurt us. We begin to attack them. Or here's the big one. We ruminate. You know what that means? Play the tape over and over and over and over about how they hurt us and how they did this to us and how bad they are. You know what science has shown about rumination? Two things. Number one, when you ruminate, it makes you stupid. Literally. Because instead of using your brain to process and go forward and think about ideas and how can I bless my family? How can I be better at work? What can I do for my kids? How can I love my spouse? Guess what your brain's doing? It's spending all of its horsepower thinking about revenge, thinking about how they hurt you, thinking about that sin. It's like driving your car at 60 miles per hour in reverse with a rearview mirror. Just all your efforts used to do that. That's number one. Number two, they found this about memory. Every time you remember an event, your brain rewrites the event as you are currently remembering it. Does that make sense? So the next time you remember that event, you're not remembering the event, you're remembering the last time you remembered the event. I know that sounds complicated, but here's what happens. The story changes, slowly but surely. They become more like Satan, and you become more like a saint, because that's what happens. And you don't actually remember clearly what happened anymore, because every time your brain is rewriting it, rewriting it, rewriting it, rewriting it, rewriting it. And the story just moves on you. And you never know that. It's dangerous. So, what does Jesus say to do? Rebuke. I want you to know something on rebuke. Who initiates the rebuke? The offended person. Normally what happens when somebody gets sinned against, what we do is we cross our arms and we say, I'm just going to wait for them to come here and say they're sorry. You'll be waiting a long time because rarely does that happen. Rarely do people have the maturity to say, you know, I think I hurt you and I'm coming and I want to say I'm sorry. That is rare, right? Jesus admits that. He's like, you got to go do it, man. You got to go do it. You initiate it if you've been offended. We do not live in Camelot. We live in sin a lot. And Jesus is honest about that, okay? To take care of this, you that have been hurt, you go and you take care of this. Second thing to notice is this. You know what rebuke means? Rebuke. 
That's what it means. And we as a culture don't rebuke. What we do instead is we say, oh, I'm fine. Oh, hey, it's no big deal. Hey, you know what? I'll get over it. Hey, I'm tough enough. I can handle that. We don't rebuke. And instead what happens with that sin is we just start bleeding out from it. It just tires us out. It makes us exhausted. Let me explain to you what biblical rebuke is. Biblical rebuke is the fire that cauterizes the wound. It heals you and it numbs the pain. Biblical rebuke is this. It's you look that person in the eye, you tell them the specific sin that they did and how it affected you. Your gossip, your betrayal, your words affected me like this. Mom, dad, when you abandoned me when I was nine years old, it made me feel worthless and valueless. Specific sin, specifically how it hurts you. That's a biblical rebuke. That's what Jesus says. If you're going to take care of this, this is what you do, okay? Now, that sounds really hard. It is. But when you do that, you pay that offender the ultimate compliment. You are treating them as the Imago Dei. We can almost see it. Oh, man, just a little lower. Next time, fly in lower, please. <laughs> uh, you pay them. You offended me. I'm going to rebuke you. You pay that person the ultimate compliment when you rebuke them. Here's what I mean. I'll try to explain it like this. Let's imagine you're over at Brookings. You're swimming. It's 75 degree. There's this cool thermal that's coming off of Hawaii. The water's 80 degrees, so you're loving it. You're like, this is awesome. And while you're out there swimming, all of a sudden you feel a tug on your leg and you see a shark swimming away with your leg. You're like, ah, oh, bummer, right? Someone comes out, saves you, you get sewed up, you get flown up to OHSU, they heal you, you're good, but you're missing your leg. So a news camera hears about it, they want to do an interview with you, they come in, they're like, oh my goodness, what? tell me the story. All right. And then they ask you, are you bitter at that shark? What would you say? No. That's what sharks do. Right? No, man. That's what sharks do. It's a bummer that I was there. I wish it hadn't happened to me, but I'm not bitter at the shark. That's what sharks do. Okay? Let's play the same scenario like this. You're out there. Beautiful day. Swimming. Everything's wonderful. You look down. You see your brother-in-law in a scuba suit with an axe, and he hacks off your leg, and he takes it away. Same scenario. Now are you bitter at your brother-in-law? Why? Because humans shouldn't act that way. You're not a shark. Don't act that way. You're calling somebody up to the way that they should act. You're an image bearer of God. How you acted is not right. Okay? I'll give you a quote by Alvin Plantiga. He is a brilliant, brilliant philosopher. He says this, We ought to pay evildoers, including ourselves, the intolerable compliment of taking them seriously as moral agents of holding them accountable for their wrongdoing, this is a mark of our respect for their dignity and weight as human beings. What we do when we rebuke somebody is we say, you are an image bearer of God. You should respond this way. You're not a shark. 
you're a human. It's hard, but man, it is so healthy. You're calling them up. And then Jesus says, if you've done that and they repent, forgive them. Forgiveness means this, I'm canceling the debt. You sinned against me, and with that sin, you owed me, but I'm canceling that debt. Let me try to explain it like this. Myron, who was five when this happened, a couple of months ago, he was a little upset, so he closed a door very, very, very firmly. Right? And when he closed it very, very, very firmly, it knocked a picture off the wall and it broke the frame. Right? So I took Myron and I rebuked him. <laughs> Not really. I said, Myron, buddy, can't do that. He got a little emotional, said, Dad, I'm sorry. I said, I forgive you. And I said, but look, even though I've forgiven you, look at the frame. That was mom's frame. It's still broken. And he got super quiet looking at it. And they just walked off. Ten minutes later, he emerges from his room. He's got this little Ziploc bag. He's got all of his money in it, and he puts it on the table and goes, Dad, I'll pay for it. I almost started crying. And I just said, thank you, buddy. You get it. There's, there's damage. There's damage done. And someone has to pay. When you forgive, what you are saying is this. You sinned against me. It made me feel this way and I'll pay it. I'll cancel the debt. I won't keep charging interest on it by ruminating on it and making you more of Satan and me more of a saint. I'm canceling the debt. I pay for it. I pay for it. That's what forgiveness is. The debt is canceled. You owe me nothing anymore. Okay? You forgive them. And you forgive because you know, I don't want this thing to stain my soul. Okay, fine, Matt. What if they don't repent? You do a biblical rebuke, and they just look at you and say, oh, that's interesting. Okay, what that means is, number one, there can't be reconciling. Reconciliation only comes if there's proper rebuke and repentance. That person is, something's wrong, they're unsafe, I don't know what it is, I'm not going to try to figure that out. But reconciliation cannot happen, all right? which is always the goal of biblical rebuke and forgiveness. However, notice, this is not the only text in the Bible about forgiveness. Notice Jesus doesn't say, if they won't repent, punch him in the mouth. Out them on Twitter. Attack them on Instagram. Gossip about them. Tell everybody how bad they are, right? It doesn't say that. In fact, we could go to a bunch of other texts that say, you still forgive them. Pay attention to yourself. You forgive them for your sake. That's why you do it. Okay, I'm forgiving you. And here's what I found in dealing with it with a lot of people on this, mediating, here's what I found. If the offended person rebukes right, the other person is just sitting there like, I don't even know what to do. If the person that rebuked then says, I forgive you. You sinned against me. It made me feel this way, but I forgive you. That often is the dynamite that blasts the dam 
of their lack of repentance. And it's in that moment that they say, oh, I'm so sorry. Because sometimes the offender feels so bad about themselves, I'm such a moron. I know I blew it there. I'm such an idiot. No one can forgive me for this. No one can love me. They feel that, and all those emotions are actually blocking them for repenting. But if you will offer that grace, gospel-centered forgiveness to them, it's often the dynamite that blows open their ability to then forgive you. But even if they don't, for your sake, you say, I'm forgiving them. But Matt, then aren't they getting away with it? Well, number one, if it's something illegal, Romans 13 says, the law still has a job to do. But number two, how does Jesus start this whole section on forgiveness? It's the mafia Jesus, right? Better, that guy has a giant cement necklace given to him and thrown into the sea, right? What is Jesus saying there? I'll take care of it. It's Romans 18, 19. Vengeance is mine. I'll repay. When you forgive and you cancel the debt in your own account, what you're saying then is, God, you take this red hot frying boulder and you take it and you judge it because you're a better judge than me. And I'm trusting you to be the judge. Now they don't get away with it. God promises, I will repay. You're trusting him completely. Notice verse five. After Jesus has taught this, what did the disciples say? The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. What are they saying right there? Ah, this is hard. Are you kidding? This is impossible. Who could possibly do this? And then Jesus responds, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. It's hard, Jesus. How do you walk that kind of forgiveness out? You need a miracle. That's essentially what Jesus says right there. You need a miracle. A miracle where trees get uprooted and thrown thousands of miles away. You need a miracle. So people that study forgiveness, and I'll have a bunch of resources on a slide. People that study forgiveness say there are two modes that people forgive. Mode number one is this. It's when they are taught all the benefits to them about forgiveness, right? So there's a great article. You can just read one article and it'll give you this. It's, it was in The Atlantic. It's called The Forgiveness Boost. And it's by this guy. The, he's a professor at the University of Washington. His name is Everett Worthington. Bright guy. And he knows about unforgiveness. His mom, 78 years old, was brutally murdered and then worse things done to her. His brother, his younger brother, actually found his mom in that condition and was so broken up by it, he committed suicide. So Professor Worthington knows about unforgiveness. He says, I'm not a forgiving person by nature. He said, when I was in college, I had a professor that gave me a B when I thought I deserved an A. He said, it took a religious experience and 10 years for me to forgive him for giving me a B. So he knows about unforgiveness. But he began to walk this thing out. 
And he writes about it now. Brilliant. One of his books is in the resource list. He says this, he writes this Atlantic article and goes, people that learn about the health benefits can forgive. And he gives a ton of them. Like when you are a forgiving person, you have better health. You go to the doctor less frequently. Um, You sleep better. Anybody want to sleep better? Man, I do. Forgive. Because rumination ruins sleep. That's what it does. Okay? You have less complications when you do have some kind of surgery. It's just on and on and on. In marriages, people that are forgiving have lower blood pressure, have lower heart rates. Um, They have less tense faces. Like you can literally look at a person and see unforgiveness. Right? You know what a tense face does to you? Gives you wrinkles. So for no other reason than vanity, forgive, right? I mean, just, just use vanity. Then they did this test on people that are unforgiving versus forgiving people. Walk up a hill. They found forgiving people could walk up the hill better. And here's my favorite. They said they, they took these people that are forgiving and unforgiving, and they had them jump. People that were forgiving could jump seven centimeters higher than someone that could not forgive. So young people, you want to dunk the basketball? Be a forgiver, right? It anchors you to the ground. So there's this forgiveness for yourself. And that works. But there's a second mode of forgiveness. And it was the forgiveness that they found the longest lasting results in people. And it was forgiveness out of empathy. And so what they do in these situations is they'll take somebody that just has unforgiveness toward a parent or whatever, and they'll sit them in a chair, and then they'll put a chair right in front of them, and they'll say, imagine your mom, imagine your dad, imagine the perpetrator of sin against you is sitting in that chair. Tell them what they did to you and how they feel. Guess what that is? Rebuke. It's exactly what Jesus says. Rebuke them. They may not be there right now. Rebuke them. And then when they're done doing that, they say, okay, get up, sit in that chair now, and imagine that you're your mom or your dad, the perpetrator, and honestly answer yourself back. Empathize with them. What they found when people do that is this. They, They realize their own sinfulness and their perpetrator's humanity. And when you realize those two things, it builds in you to this massive amount of empathy. It's just the gospel. That's what it is. We're sinners saved by God's grace. We're not some kind of different class or we haven't hurt people or we haven't done something wrong. It's just basic gospel-centered empathy. And that one, forgiveness explodes. It lasts longer. It does more benefit because it's done with the gospel. It's brilliant. Okay? We need a miracle to do that. Faith. We need faith, the apostles say. In order to walk out empathy, you need faith. Number one, faith in God's justice. I don't have to repay them. God, you'll repay them. It's a promise in Romans 12, 19. I don't have to be the one that rebukes them. I can rebuke them, but if they won't repent, I don't have to be the one that teaches them a lesson or tries to get back at them. Jesus, I'm letting you do that. Faith in God's justice. Number two, you need to have faith in Jesus as your high priest to walk with you through this. That he has gone through everything that you've gone through. Betrayal, beating, 
everything that you could imagine Jesus has been through. And you're saying, okay, walk with me, faith in Jesus. And then thirdly, you need to have faith in your own forgiveness. I've been forgiven much. People all the time say, I can't forgive myself. I say, well, if Jesus forgave you, what are you talking about? Are you more important than the cross? Are you greater than the cross? No, that's ridiculous. You gotta come back to the forgiveness that happened to you and put your trust in that forgiveness. Know that, okay? Know how much you've been forgiven of. Jesus gives this great parable on forgiveness. It's in Matthew 18, verse 21. He says, there's this dude that owes the king $2 trillion. It's just a ridiculous amount of money. And he's ready to be cast into prison because of this debt. And he comes before the king and goes, hey, be patient with me. I'll pay off the $2 trillion. I'm taking a second shift at In-N-Out Burger. I'll get your money, right? It's ridiculous. It's just humorous. There's no way he can pay this debt. And what does the king do? Cancels the debt. You're free. And then he goes from there. He finds a guy that owes him 50 bucks. And he begins to beat him and say, I'm throwing you into prison until you pay me this money back. That whole story is, listen, Know how much you've been forgiven. Go to the cross and be reminded how much Jesus has forgiven you because then you won't be worried about 50 bucks. You'll be able to cancel the debt because you'll know I have been forgiven. You must forgive. There's a text that causes a lot of problems on forgiveness. It's in Matthew chapter 6, verse 15. Because it says this, it says, if you won't forgive people their trespasses, their sins against you, the Father won't forgive you your trespasses. You ever had a conversation with somebody on that verse? Man, I have. What does that mean? I'm going to heaven? What does that mean? Here's what I think it means. You know those revolving doors that they have like in hotels? That you push on one side and you, and you go in through it, but at the same time people will be going out through the other side? But if some little kid decides he's going to stand in the middle of it and stop it, what happens to both people? You can't move, right? Okay. We think forgiveness is like two doors in our head. There's a door where God's forgiveness comes into us, and there's another door that we then give to forgive us other people. We think that's the way things are. That's not at all biblical forgiveness. Biblical forgiveness is a revolving door. It's God's forgiveness comes in this way and moves us to give forgiveness out that way. And if we stand in the middle of the door just saying, I will not forgive, then we shut the door to God's forgiveness and his shalom and his healing and his peace and his abundance. That's what we do. It's a revolving door. And we say, okay, I've been forgiven so much, I'm gonna stop blocking that door. I'm gonna stop blocking the door. You must forgive. I think there's a bunch of people in this room that have layer after layer after layer of unforgiveness in their heart. And they ruminate and they want to get vengeance and it's destroying them. Reducing their brain size. That's what unforgiveness does. It's happened. And I think today, I really prayed about this, Jesus wants to heal those of us that came in here with unforgiveness. So I'm going to have you grab communion after I pray, and then we're going to take it together and pray for Jesus' healing on us. So Jesus, 
This is a hard text. But it's because you want your people to flourish, to live lives that are bold, full, abundant, graceful, merciful. I pray right now that any who came in here riddled, ruminating, being outwitted, being overcome by unforgiveness, I pray that your spirit would set them free. And I pray this in your name. Amen.